Hello. Nightmarishly convincing. After reading it, nothing seems quite the same anymore. Thus was the verdict of the Sunday Times, splashed large on the front cover of A Blueprint for Survival, first published in 1972 in The Ecologist, and then as a book in 1973 that went on to sell over three quarters of a million copies. Written by Edward Goldsmith and Robert Allen, and signed by over 30 of the leading scientists of the day, including Sir Julian Huxley, Sir Frank Fraser Darling, Sir Peter Medawar, and Sir Peter Scott, Blueprint argued for a radically restructured civilization in order to prevent the breakdown of society and the irreversible disruption of the life support systems on this planet. I recall in particular the stark assertion that if mankind didn't mend its ways, then we would surely and certainly muddle our way to extinction. We haven't yet, of course, which is perhaps in part why Blueprint and other similar tomes have since been pushed gently towards the back burner. Until now, when the dramatic events of recent years have insisted we reassess our habitation of planet Earth and our impact on its ailing health. Around the time I read Blueprint, as a student in the early 1970s, a science lecturer cited it postulating that when mankind did surely and certainly muddle its way to extinction, then the next most likely dominant species on the planet would be insects. His reasoning is intriguing, but does hold water. The fundamental cycle of life is to be born, mature, procreate and die. Everything else is ancillary. Insects can be found at all extremes and are incredibly resilient. Cockroaches are believed to survive the Hiroshima blast of 1945 at just 1,000 feet from the detonation point. Now let us consider our own modest ability to cope. Above 30 degrees centigrade and we begin to wilt. Minus 10 degrees centigrade, and we huddle in layers of clothes. Yes, there are those hardy souls living happily around the globe in punishing conditions, but by and large, most of us have a puny tolerance range of around 40 degrees centigrade from top to bottom, and after a short while, even those limits may become unendurable. Ah, looking out from the barn in what is officially early spring, but which still justifies the healthy roar of a well-banked log fire. I see the heavy snow that descended on us over a week ago, beginning its big thaw. Many parts of the country have been affected to varying degrees, the second such deluge since the Christmas period. But here on the borders, we've had more than our fair share. The unrelenting cascade fell almost unbroken for 48 hours, blown into drifts that covered telegraph poles. But hey, it's winter, one expects snow. And even though for the past five years we've barely had any, the major snowfalls of the 70s and 80s are still clear memories. I can even vaguely remember the grim winter of 1963, and my dear mother, now hurtling gleefully into her 87th year, recalls with a metaphorical shiver the blast of 1947 that was particularly hostile in her native Yorkshire. Weather is what happens over the next week. Climate is what happens over the next millennium. So are the recent fluctuations in our weather. Heavy snow, unprecedented flooding, searing heat waves, unpredictable rainfall patterns. Any indicator of a change in climate? That is, of course, part of the contemporary debate between those who hold that man is already well down a self-made path to extinction, standing toe-to-toe -to -toe against the climate change deniers. Yet one fact universally beyond dispute, 
universal except perhaps to the likes of the Flat Earth Society, is how our climate has swung radically in the past. It is only within 10,000 years that we have emerged from our last ice age. Indeed, there are those who suggest that in parts of Scotland it is not yet entirely gone. To put the era into context, and this is a crude approximation, but it does the trick, if every word in Tolstoy's War and Peace, that's well over half a million, each represents 10,000 years since the creation of our planet, then humankind's entire span on it to date would occupy little more than the final few characters and full stop at the end of the concluding chapter. 10,000 years in geomorphology terms is a mere blink, and although of course none of us here now will be around to bear witness to our species surviving the next blink, we must factor this into our deliberations on the time scale of change. All the more remarkable that our weather, if not our climate, seems to have altered so dramatically within less than a lifetime. Should global warming herald a new ice age for the UK and Europe, which sounds perversely illogical but is in fact a real possibility if the warming disrupts ocean currents, then the lessons of history may offer some indication as to what to expect. There have been several ice ages over the previous 600 million years, the final one occurring about 1 million years back and lasting until about 10,000 years ago. Much of the landscape of the UK has been fashioned by ice. The River Severn, rising in the Welsh mountains of Plinlimon and heading northwards, had its course radically diverted southwards around Shrewsbury by the effects of the retreating glaciers, resulting in it carving the route that we see today through Ironbridge Gorge. More subtle is the effect of freezing ice extending finger-like and meltwater pushing against the substrate, each with a force capable of moving large boulders. This can distort the geological interpretation of an area by depositing material miles from its source in a phenomenon that geologists call glacial erratics. The last ice age saw the glacial sheet extending in a line roughly from Bridge North through the Black Country to Warsaw before it swung northwards, thus largely missing Birmingham. Yet the city did not escape erratics. A large boulder in Cannonhill Park, deposited around 18,000 years ago and colloquially known as the Moon Rock or the Meteor, is believed to originate from the Aranig Mountains of Wales, over 100 miles to the northwest of the Bourne in Snowdonia. Several species of animals succumbed to the Ice Age and became extinct. One such was the woolly mammoth. Standing at over 12 feet, or 4 metres if you must, it had the appearance of a hirsute elephant. In 1986, the remains of an adult woolly mammoth, Manunthanus primigenius, were discovered at Condover, south of Shrewsbury. Further excavations over 1987-1988 revealed the skeletons of three juveniles. Closer to the Black Country, the website of Amblecoat History Society carries a report from January 1917 of mammalian remains, including small fragments from a woolly mammoth found in sand pits at Amblecoat. The findings indicated large quantities of the materials in which they were embedded might have come from the higher regions of the Stour, but associated with them is an Aranig glacial boulder, which must have come from the Aranig Mountains of Wales. The whereabouts of the fragments are currently unknown, though it is possible to see how an intact woolly mammoth would have appeared courtesy of a realistic, stuffed, full-size version affectionately known as Fluffy. A popular attraction at the former Dudley Museum, the poor creature has been housed in temporary accommodation since the museum's closure in 2016.
But help is at hand for Fluffy, whose new home from spring 2018 is Worcester City Art Gallery and Museum, and where visitors may again appreciate these behemoths of the distant past. We can but hope that this time around, the weather in Worcester remains conducive to Fluffy's continuing well-being for some blinks to come. Enjoy your black country, and do join me again soon for more Tales from the Barn.